when I published Ulysses by James Joyce in my little bookshop called Shakespeare and Company in Paris. Look, look, the dust is growing. My branches lost Lord James. Stately, plump, buck bargain. All perfume, yes, and his heart was going like mad. And yes, I said yes, I will, yes. Friends of Shakespeare and Company read Ulysses by James Joyce. Read today by Chloe Aregis. A black crack of noise in the street here, a lack, bald, back. Loud on left, Thor thundered, in anger awful, the hammer hurler. Came now the storm that hissed his heart. And Master Lynch bade him have a care to flout and wit wanton as the god's self was angered for his hell-prate and paganry. And he that had erst challenged to be so dowdy waxed pale as they might, all mark and shrank together, and his pitch that was before so hot uplift was now of a sudden quite plucked down, and his heart shook within the cage of his breast as he tasted the rumour of that storm. Then did some mock and some jeer, and Punch Costello fell hard again to his yell, which Master Lenehan vowed he would do after, and he was indeed but a word and a blow on any, the least colour. But the braggart boasted cried that an old nobo daddy was in his cups. It was much what indifferent, and he would not lag behind his lead. But this was only to die his desperation, as cowed he crouched in Horn's Hall. He drank indeed at one draught to pluck up a heart of any grace, for it thundered long rumblingly, over all the heavens, so that Master Madden, being godly certain wiles, knocked him on his ribs upon that crack of doom, and Master Bloom, at the braggart's side, spoke to him calming words to slumber his great fear, advertising how it was no other thing but a hubbub noise that he heard, the discharge of fluid from the thunderhead, look you, having taken place, and all of the order of a natural phenomenon. But was young Boastard's fear vanquished by Calmer's words? No, for he had in his bosom a spike named bitterness, which could not by words be done away. And was he then neither calm like the one, nor godly like the other? He was neither as much as he would have liked to be either. But could he not have endeavoured to have found again, as in his youth, the bottle holiness that then he lived withal? Indeed, not for grace was not there to find that bottle. Heard he then in that clap the voice of the god bring forth, or, what calmer said, a hubbub of phenomenon. Heard? Why, he could not but hear unless he had plugged up the tube understanding, which he had not done. For through that tube he saw that he was in the land of phenomenon, where he must for a certain one day die, as he was like the rest to a passing show. And would he not accept to die like the rest and pass away? By no means would he, and make more shows, according as men do with wives, which phenomenon has commanded to do by the book law. Then wotted he not of that other land which is called Believe on Me. That is the land of promise which behoves to the king delightful and shall be for ever where there is no death and no birth, neither wiving nor mothering, at which all shall come as when, as many as believe on it. Yes, Pius had told him of that land, and chaste had pointed him to the way, but the reason was that in the way he fell in with a certain whore of an eye-pleasing exterior, whose name, he said, is bird in the hand, and she beguiled him wrong ways from the true path by her flatteries, that she said to him, as, ho, you pretty man, 
turn aside hither and I will show you a brave place. And she lay at him so flatteringly that she had him in her grot, which is named two in the bush or by some learned carnal concupiscence. This was it, what all that company that sat there at commons and mans of mothers, the most lusted after, and if they met with this whore bird in hand, which within all foul plagues, monsters, and a wicked devil, they would strain the last, but they would make it her and know her. For regarding believe on me, they said it was not else but notion, and they could conceive no thought of it, for first, two in the bush whither she ticed them, was the very goodliest grot, and in it were four pillows on which were four tickets with these words printed on them, pick a back and topsy-turvy and shame face and cheek by jowl, and, second, for that foul plague all pox and the monsters they cared not for them, for a preservative had given them a stout shield of oxen gut, and, third, that they might take no hurt neither from offspring that was that wicked devil by virtue of the same shield which was called killed child. So were they all in their blind fancy, Mr. Cavill and Mr. Sometimes Godly, Mr. Ape Swillale, Mr. False Franklin, Mr. Dainty Dixon, Young Boasthard, and Mr. Cautious Calmer. Wherein, O wretched company, were you all deceived, for that was the voice of the God that was in a very grievous rage, that he would presently lift his arm and spill their souls for their abuses, and their spillings done by them, contrary wise to his word, which forth to bring Brenningly biddeth. So Thursday, 16th, June, Patk. Dignum lane clay of an apoplexy, and after hard drought, please God, rained, a bargeman coming in by water a fifty mile or thereabout, with turf saying the seed won't sprout, fields of thirst, very sad coloured and stunk mightily, the quags and tofts too. Hard to breathe, and all the young quicks clean consumed without sprinkle this long while back as no man remembered to be without. The rosy buds all gone brown and spread out blobs, and on the hills naught but dry flags and faggots that would catch at first fire. All the world saying, for aught they knew, the big wind of last February, a year that did havoc the land, so pitifully a small thing beside this barrenness. But by and by, as said, this evening after sundown, the wind sitting in the west, biggish swollen clouds to be seen as the night increased, and the weather-wise pouring up at them, and some sheet lightnings at first and after, past ten of the clock, one great stroke with a long thunder, and in a brace of shakes all scamper pell-mell within door for the smoking shower, the men making shelter for their straws with a clout or kerchief, women folk skipping off with curdles, catched up soon as the poor came. In Eli Place, Bagot Street, Duke's Lawn, thence through Marion Green up to Hollis Street, a swash of water running that was before bone dry and not one chair or coach or fiacre seemed about, but no more crack after that first. Over against the right honourable Mr. Justice Fitzgibbon's door, that is to sit with Mr. Healy, the lawyer, upon the college lands, Mal Mulligan, a gentleman's gentleman that had but come from Mr. Moore's The Writers, that was a papish, but is now, folks say, a good Williamite, chanced against Alec Bannon in a cut bob, which are now in which dance cloaks of Kendall Green, that was new got to town from Mullinger with the stage, where his cos and Mal M M's brother will stay a month, yet till St. Swithin, and ask what in the earth he does there, he bound home, and he to Andrew Horns, being stayed for to crush a cup of wine, so he said, but would tell him of a skittish heifer, big of her age, and beef to the heel, and all this while poured with rain, and so both together on to Horns. There Leopold Bloom of Crawford's journal, sitting snug with a covey of wags, likely brangling fellows, Dixon Jr., scholar of my Lady of Mercy, 
Vin Lynch, a Scots fellow, Will Madden, T. Lenahan, a very sad for a racing horse he fancied, and Stephen D. Leopold Bloom, therefore languor he had, but was now better. He, having dreamt tonight a strange fancy of his dame Mrs. Maul with red slippers on, in a pair of turkey trunks, which is thought by those in Ken to be for change, and Mistress Purefoy there, that got in through pleading her belly, and now on the stools, poor body, two days past her term, the midwife sore put to it and can't deliver, she queasy for a bowl of rice slop that is a shrewd dryer up of the insides, and her breath very heavy, more than good, and should be a bully boy from the knocks, they say, but God give her soon issue." This her ninth chick to live, I hear. And Lady Day bit off her last chick's nails that was then a twelfth month with other three all breastfed that died written out in a fair hand and the king's Bible. Her hub fifty odd and a Methodist but takes the sacrament and is to be seen any fair Sabbath with a pair of his boys off Bullock Harbour dapping on the sound with a heavy braked reel or in a punt he has trailing for flounder and Pollock and catches a fine bag, I hear. In some an infinite great fall of rain, and all refreshed, and will much increase the harvest, yet those in Ken say after wind and water fire shall come for prognostication of Malachy's almanac, and I hear that Mr. Russell has done a prophetical charm of the same gist out of the Hindu Stanish for his Farmer's Gazette. To have three things in all, but this a mere fetch without bottom of reason, for old crones and barons, yet sometimes they are found in the right, guess with their queerities, no telling how. With this came up Lenahan to the feet of the table to see how the letter was in that night's gazette, and he made a show to find it about him, for he swore with an oath that he had been at pains about it. But on Stephen's persuasion he gave over to search and was bidden to sit nearby, which he did mighty brisk. He was a kind of sport gentleman that went for Mary Andrew or Honest Pickle, and what belonged of women, horse flesh, or hot scandal he had it pat. To tell the truth, he was mean in fortunes and for the most part hankered about the coffee houses and low taverns with crimps, ostlers, bookies, Paul's men, runners, flat caps, waistcoatiers, ladies of the bagnio and other rogues of the game, or with a chanceable catchpole or a tipstaff often at nights till broad day of whom he picked up between his sack possets much loose gossip. He took his ordinary at a boiling cook's and if he had but gotten into him a mess of broken victuals, or platter of tripes with a bare tester in his purse, he could always bring himself off with this, with his tongue, some randy quip he had from a punk or what not, that every mother son of them would burst their sides. The other, Costello, that is, hearing this talk, as it was poetry or a tale. Faith, no, he says, Frank, that was his name, tis all about carry cows that are to be butchered along of the plague. But they can go hang, says he with a wink, for me with their bully beef, a pox on it. There's as good fish in this tin as ever came of it, and very friendly he offered to take of some salty sprats that stood by, which he had eyed wishly in the meantime, and found the place with which was indeed the chief design of his embassy as he was sharpest. Moral vache, says Frank then in the French language that had been indentured to a brandy shipper that has a wine lodge in Bordeaux, and he spoke French like a gentleman too. From a child this Frank had been a donut that his father, a headborough, who could ill keep him to school to learn his letters and the use of the globes, matriculated at the university to study the mechanics, but he took the bit between his teeth like a raw colt and was more familiar with the justiciary and the parish beetle than with his volumes. One time he would be a play actor, then a subtler or a welsher, then naught would keep him from the bear pit and the cocking mane. 
than he was for the ocean sea or to hoof it on the roads with the Romany folk, kidnapping a squire's heir by favor, or moonlight, or fecking maid's linen, or choking chickens behind a hedge. He had been off as many times as a cat has lives, and back again with naked pockets, as many more to his father, the headbro, who shed a pint of tears as often as he saw him. What, says Mr. Leopold with his hands across, that was earnest to know the drift of it. Will they slaughter all? I protest I saw them, but this day morning, going to the Liverpool boat, says he. I can scarce believe tis so bad, says he. And he had experience of the like brood beasts and of Springer's greasy hoggets and weather wolves, having been some years before actuary for Mr. Joseph Cuff, a worthy salesmaster that drove his trade for livestock and meadow auctions hard by Mr. Gavin Lowe's yard in Prussia Street. I question with you there, says he, more like tis the hoose of the timber tongue. Mr. Stephen, a little moved but very handsomely, told him no such matter, and that he had dispatches from the Emperor's chief tail-tickler thanking him for the hospitality that was sending over Dr. Rinderpest, the best-quoted cow-catcher in all Muscovy, with a bolus or two of physic to take the bull by the horns. Come, come, says Mr. Vincent, plain-dealing. He'll find himself on the horns of a dilemma if he meddles with the bull that's Irish, says he. Irish by name and Irish by nature, says Mr. Stephen, and he sent the ale purling about. An Irish bull in an English china shop. I conceive you, says Mr. Dixon. It is that same bull that was sent to our island by Farmer Nicholas, the bravest cattle breeder of all, with an emerald ring in his nose. True for you, says Mr. Vincent, cross the table, and a bull's eye into the bargain, says he, and a plumper and a portlier bull, says he, never shit on shamrock. He'd horns galore, a coat of gold, and a sweet smoky breath coming out of his nostrils, so that the women of our island, leaving dough balls and rolling pins, followed after him, hanging his bulliness in daisy chains. What for that, says Mr. Dixon, but before he came over, Farmer Nicholas, that was a eunuch, had him properly gelded by a college of doctors, who were no better off than himself. So be off now, says he, and do all my cousin German, the Lord Harry tells you, and take a farmer's blessing. And with that he slapped his posteriors very soundly. But the slap and the blessing stood him friend, says Mr. Vincent, for to make up he taught him a trick worth two of the other, so that maid, wife, abbess, and widow to this day affirm that they would rather any time of the month whisper in his ear in the dark of a cowhouse, or get a lick on the nape from his long holy tongue than lie with the finest strapping young ravisher in the four fields of all Ireland. Another then put in his word, and they dressed him, says he, in a point shift and petticoat with a tippet and girdle and ruffles on his wrists and clipped his forelock and rubbed him all over with spermacetic oil and built stables for him at every turn of the road with a gold manger in each full of the best hay in the market so that he could doss and dung to his heart's content. But this time the father of the faithful, for so they called him, was grown so heavy that he could scarce walk to pasture. To remedy which our cousining dames and damsels brought him his fodder in their apron laps, and as soon as his belly was full, he would rear up on his hind quarters to show their ladyships a mystery and roar and bellow out of him in bull's language, and they all after him. I, says another, and so pampered was he that he would suffer not to grow in all the land but green grass for himself, for that was the only colour to his mind. And there was a board put up on a hillock in the middle of the island with a printed notice saying, by the Lord Harry Green is the grass that grows on the ground. And, says Mr. Dixon, if ever he caught scent of a cattle raider in Ross Common or the wilds of Connemara 
or a husbandman in Sligo, that was sowing as much as a handful of mustard or a bag of rapeseed, out he run amok over half the countryside, rooting up with his horns whatever was planted, and all by Lord Harry's orders. There was bad blood between them at first, says Mr. Vincent, and the Lord Harry called Farmer Nicholas all the old nicks in the world, and an old whore-master that kept seven trolls in his house, and I'll meddle in his matter, says he. I'll make that animal smell hell, says he, with help of that good pizzle my father left me. But one evening, says Mr. Dixon, when the Lord Harry was cleaning his royal pelt to go to dinner after winning a boat race, he had spade oars for himself, but the first rule of the course was that the others were to row with pitchforks. He discovered in himself a wonderful likeness to a bull, and on picking up a black-thumbed chapbook that he kept in the pantry, he found sure enough that he was a left-handed descendant of the famous champion bull of the Romans, Bos Bovum, which is a good bog Latin for boss of the show. After that, says Mr. Vincent, the Lord Harry put his head into a cow's drinking trough in the presence of all his courtiers and pulling it out again told them all his new name. Then, with the water running off him, he got into an old smock and skirt that had belonged to his grandmother and bought a grammar of the bull's language to study, but he could not learn a word of it except the first personal pronoun, which he copied out big and got off by heart, and if ever he went for a walk, he filled his pockets with chalk to write it up on what took his fancy, the side of a rock or a tea house table or a bale of cotton or a cork float. In short, he and the bull of Ireland were soon as fast friends as an arse in a shirt. They were, says Mr. Stephen, and the end was that the men of the island, seeing no help was toward, as the ungrate women were all of one mind, made a wary raft, loaded themselves and their bundles of chattels on shipboard, set all masks erect, manned the yards, sprang their luff, heaved to, spread their sheets in the wind, put her head between wind and water, weighed anchor, ported her helm, ran up the jolly Roger, gave three times three, let the bulgin run, pushed off in their bumboat, and went to sea to recover the main of America, which was the occasion, says Mr. Vincent, of the composing by a boatswain of that rollicking chanty, Pope Peter's but a pissabed, a man's a man for at that.